Hello, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. If you've had the opportunity to listen to this podcast over the past year and a half, you know I've had the uh, exciting opportunity to talk with people from across the country. Uh, I started here in the Philadelphia area and was hoping to talk to some friends who've run for office, like myself, and encourage others to run. And since then, I've been able to increase the reach and talk to someone from almost every state. After today, I will have only one state left to record, and I'm pretty excited to be able to talk with someone from across the country. Of course, if I only have one state left after this, that means that today's episode is one of the new states, which is Idaho. I have no friends in Idaho, um, but that's going to change today because I'm talking to the mayor of Sandpoint, Idaho, Shelby Rongstad, who's going to be talking about his rise in politics and local government, what things are like in Idaho, um, how he's improving the reputation of his town, and hopefully encourage you to run for office too. Some of the most important elections, maybe all of the most important elections, are local races, including mayors and city council. And I know in this conversation here today, you're going to hear from Shelby why it's important that you get involved and make a very real difference in your town, borough, county, or city. So, all that in mind, Shelby, welcome to Pennsylvania. Thank you, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here with you and to uh, uh, speak in front of your listeners here today. So, um, I don't know much about Idaho aside from Napoleon, Dynamite, and Potatoes. Um, I'm sure that there is at least a little bit more than that. Um, what should people know about Idaho and what part of Idaho exactly? Because it looks big on the map. I'm sure it's not all unique, uniformly the same, is it? Uh, no, it is quite different depending on uh, what region you're in. And in fact, um, I'm in the northern region, and here it's uh, mountains, rivers, and lakes, uh, and of course, vast forests. And I've been told that if uh, Idaho were as flat as, uh, let's say, uh, North Dakota, um, that it would be the largest state in the nation. <laughs> well, Maybe not larger than Alaska, but at least in the lower 48. So it's it's a very mountainous state, um, but it is quite different in the northern part of the state, uh, what we call the Panhandle. Um, it's quite different than the south, which is uh, more flat. Uh, there still are, are some mountains down south, but it's much more flat. Uh, it starts getting into the higher desert that you see in Nevada, um, and it's uh, so it's a drier climate down there. It's it's flatter climate. Um, but up here in the north, uh, it is quite different. Uh, historically, uh, the economy has been extraction-based, uh, uh, so mining, timber, uh, fishing, uh, way back in the day. Um, and that has slowly transitioned over the last, um, I would say, generation uh, or two into much more of a diversified economy. Uh, in the 80s, it transitioned here at Sandpoint. We transitioned into a tourist economy. We are one of the very few uh, fortunate uh, towns in the U.S. that can boast uh, both a high-quality ski hill just outside of town and we're on the shores of Lake Ponderé, which is one of the deepest lakes in North America. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful landscape here and uh, vast uh, forests that are, uh, many of which are publicly owned, either uh, national forest, uh, BLM land, um, state, forest land as well um, and even the city of Sandpoint here has a, a really significant holding for a town of 10,000 people we have a 4,000 uh, acre 
municipally owned uh, wilderness area that uh, that is essentially our watershed where we get our our water source from. So um, people here, um, as I said, in the 80s, we transitioned more into a a tourist-based economy. And then really in the 21st century, um, I think it began in the 90s, but was really picking up steam here in the 21st century. We transitioned more to a tech-based economy. And um, here today we have uh, a strong aerospace industry, uh, medical, um, biomedical, the biomedical field is, is fairly strong here. We have a, a software company that's one of our largest employers. Um, so we're, we're really trained to step into the gig economy in a, in a powerful way. And, and in, in that way, um, we're really fortunate to have um, have the kind of amenities and you know quality of life uh, components here that attract uh, the, the creative class, really creative uh, entrepreneur-like, uh, entrepreneur-minded people that, that want to uh, live here, work here, raise a family here, and end up coming here with their, their creativity to oftentimes uh, start a business and, um, and make a new, new way of life here. So that's uh, kind of the, the brief rundown. Um, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, I've been looking at the pictures. It's a beautiful area. Um, and I imagine, you know, people look at travel destinations. I know where I am, the Poconos are very popular. Um, people talk about the Adirondacks on the East Coast and beaches everywhere. But it seems almost like a little secret that Idaho is maybe a beautiful place where if you're looking to be in touch with nature and for all parts of what the outdoors can bring, maybe people miss, people are missing out on it. Yeah, yeah, we have, you know, we, I think we have been uh, largely um, unknown and undiscovered. Uh, I, I do feel like that's starting to change. And, um, you know, we, of course, tourism is still a significant part of our, of our economy here. Um, but I, I feel like even in the times of COVID, that um, if anything, uh, tourism has increased. And, and I think part of that is because in the rural areas, um, you know, they've seen less uh, COVID impact, um, largely because I think we have sort of natural social, social distancing that happens here just because there's so much space and so low population that, um, you know, I often walk to work or walk to the store and, and um, I, I can often do so without ever passing someone on the sidewalk. Yeah. So, uh, so you, you don't, it's easy to get by without wearing a mask in public until you're actually, you know, entering into a store or, or something or an office building. Um, and then, and then I'll, people will come and they put their mask on. So, um, so it's really easy to to uh, have that kind of social distancing. And I think as a result of that, we've seen um, pretty low, relatively low uh, COVID infection rates here. And then that that makes it a an even more attractive place, I think, uh, for people wanting to get out of the population centers and, and find a, a quiet, low key place to uh, be able to still enjoy the amenities and quality of life that that are often um, very restricted in the urban areas right now. A lot of places now, businesses, especially tech companies, are moving to work from home, not just in the next few weeks or the next few months, but some of them um, saying, you know, we're not going to make people come back until July or we're going to even keep this up maybe forever because we realize we don't need this corporate space do you think that places like yourselves may be seeing this as an opportunity? Like, if you work for Google, 
you don't need to live in expensive California. You could live in Idaho. You could live in Sandpoint. That's right. Yeah, and, and I'm actually surprised that we hadn't seen uh, more of that before. Um, there are a, a lot of people here who are, um, you know, if not self-employed, um, employed elsewhere, but but work from from uh, from Sandpoint or whether it's from their home or they have, um, you know, an office here. Um, it's, it's quite common. It's certainly becoming increasingly common at this point. Um, we did just recently, it was actually one of my uh, first uh, actions in as mayor in 2017, uh, we established a fiber backbone, uh, which we had, uh, you know, so-called high-speed internet before that, but it was, um, it, it was not as fast as you would expect in an urban center. Um, it certainly wasn't affordable, wasn't competitive here. Um, and so we, we, for a long time, we've been, um, you know, seeking a, a way to create a more competitive fiber market here and bring high-speed affordable internet to, to Sandpoint. And we were successful at that in 2017, and we continue to build out our fiber network. And that's really been a, a critical uh, component to being able to attract that kind of, uh, you know, gig economy and gig worker that, that we... Uh, you know, that, that I think any community would want. <laughs> and so you're able to push for these things as mayor, and the podcast is called You Should Run. Um, have, when did you decide, or what made you decide that you were going to gun for being mayor of Sandpoint? Was there um, something, and, and obviously you ran for local office first. It wasn't like you just one day woke up and you were mayor. Um, what made you decide to run for a local office and get involved in Sandpoint? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I never would have imagined myself, I, I would say, you know, 12 years ago, um, I never would have imagined myself here um, serving at this level, or really being a politician at any level. Um, it, it honestly never crossed my mind uh, 15 years ago or, or so. Um, I was a small business owner here in Sandpoint for, for a number of years. I, I owned a bookstore. Um, I started a restaurant. Uh, I had a, an entertainment venue for a brief period of time. So I dabbled in a number of uh, small businesses here locally, and when you're in that kind of, in a small town like that, Sound Point's a town of about 10,000 people, and everybody gets to know you pretty quickly, um, especially if you're, if, you know, if you're uh, in a young, uh, if you're a young person in a leadership position um, in the community, um, people get to know you pretty fast, and then um, it, 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 they just, you know, sort of expect you to um, take more responsibility, and so, um, it, you know, and at the same time, as I was sort of pushing up against the city um, as a business owner, um, there were a lot of uh, things that I was wanting, changes that I was wanting to see as a business owner, and it had me um, before the Planning and Zoning Commission uh, on a number of occasions, as well as before City Council. And so um, I was kind of, uh, in a sense, recruited um, to the other side. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, uh, because I, as I found myself in a position where I had to keep challenging the city, they, they sort of said, hey, why don't you come over here and, <laughs> and join our efforts mm -hmm. here? Um, and so, you know, the timing was really um, quite perfect for me. Um, I was always interested in planning. Um, I studied permaculture in, in college. Um, and so, you know, planning isn't too, too far of a, of a leap um, from that kind of um, systems thinking approach. 
Um, and so I, uh, the, the city was in the process of rewriting its comprehensive plan, its comprehensive land use plan. Right, we're doing that here and too. We, yeah, which it hadn't done since, uh, I want to say 1972, uh, basically forever. And, and back then, of course, it was hardly a plan at all. So, um, so this was really, you know, it was a really substantial effort for the city. Um, I wanted to be involved in the process and make sure that, you know, the future sandpoint um, best reflected, you know, what I thought would be in its best interest as well as the best interest of, of today's citizens. So um, so I volunteered uh, to be on that steering committee for that comprehensive plan, and, and the mayor appointed me onto that committee. And then from there, um, it was kind of a natural step to serve on the Planning and Zoning Commission for a term. Um, and then um, I was uh, appointed to fill a vacant seat by the, the mayor at that time on the city council. Um, so I served um, part of a term there, and then I ran again and served another part of a term before uh, running for mayor. And at that time, I was serving as the city council president, and I knew that um, you know the, the previous mayor was not going to run again, and so um, it, was, it was an empty seat. Um, I knew that whoever was in that seat, I was going to have to work with hand in hand, and so you know, it just made a lot more sense politically to, to go ahead and, and run. Um, and, it, you know, it's not that far of a lead from council president to, to mayor. So um, so it made sense for me to, to run for that seat. And then um, it left my council seat vacant for, for the second half of my term. And then I, I uh, was able to select my, uh, my, you know, who would fill that seat. So it was kind of a two-for-one deal in a sense. Um, and then that was in uh, 2016, and then and I began at the beginning of 2017 is when my term started. I was just, um, no, I'm sorry, uh, 2016 rather. Um, so I just uh, uh, was elected for my second term this past November. Uh, so I've got three years, a little over three years left in this second term. And, you know, from reading about some of your history and what's going on at Sandpoint, um, and just what you've talked about here, is when it comes to the local politics of the area, how much of it is partisan and how much of it is people who are looking at how things used to be, like you said, fishing and that kind of industry, and now it's different. Um, I feel like a lot of younger people in city government like yourself and um, people I know on this podcast, a lot of the push and pull is less liberal or conservative and more, well, that's how things used to be versus we got to look at tomorrow. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, I think here it's actually a lot more complicated. I would say that that's how it used to be um, maybe a decade or two ago. Um, it used to be, in fact, maybe even, you know, the 80s through the 90s, it was kind of more of that, um, that paradigm, I would say. Um, but what's been a really significant shift as of late is we've seen a, a really substantial influx of um, new residents from really all over the country, a lot of them from California, um, but, but I would say really all over the country. Um, and one of the things that is, has always been um, unique about Idaho is uh, the, the very um, you know, outdoorsy spirit, um, the kind of can-do spirit of you know, pull yourself up from your bootstraps and um, you know, high degree of self, self-sufficiency, self-reliance, um, independence, um, but given all that, there's still been a really uh, strong ethic of, 
you know, uh, neighborliness, friendliness. Um, you know, one of the things that attracted me here, uh, I grew up in Lewiston, which is about 200 miles south, and was um, visiting Sandpoint. And, and I was visiting because of the beautiful natural uh, environment here, the, the lake and the mountains and the forests, and it's just such a beautiful place. But one thing that really struck me is just walking down the sidewalk and, you know, people pass you uh, on the sidewalk and look you in the eye and say hi, people that you've never met. So um, it's just such an open, uh, openly friendly place, and, and, it, and it's just something that's in the people here. Um, but what I've noticed is with this uh, new influx of people, um, and, and not so much in Sandpoint proper, but really in the county region and the area around, is, is we see this um, sort of an in-migration of, of people from other places that they kind of, um, they come here because, it, it, you know, this is my perspective, um, because they, they want to seek um, that sort of libertarian, uh, free spirit, uh, you know, independent lifestyle, um, but they they come here kind of with their own idea of what that is, and not really having a relationship or connection to the place and, and how we got here and, and who we are. Um, and so th there is um, this friction, I think, between sort of this new newcomer that has a very strong kind of uh, libertarian um, constitutional bent and kind of the traditional. Uh, people, people with uh, traditional values that, that kind of grew up here and have always been here. And there does seem to be a, a difference there. And, and that's not something that, that I think you could see from the outside. Um, and uh, so, so I actually, um, you know, for me, there's kind of a, a difference between um, that, that sort of traditional conservatism um, that, that has sort of always been here and that kind of um, newcomer you know, libertarian constitutionalism that has um, immigrated here. Um, and, and a lot of the friction that I see politically is from that, that second crowd. Um, and they're, they're, they're um, imparting a significant amount of political influence mm -hmm. on our politics here in Idaho, both locally, uh, at the county level for sure, at the city level, and, and even in the state house as well. Um, and I think it's, it's something um, that is poses a real challenge for uh, the democratic process, I think, because the, the approach has been um, very um, aggressive and, um, and uh, you know, uh, aggressive and um, in opposition to what I would call our traditional democratic processes. processes. So um, it, it, it poses a significant problem for us politically, and that's something that, that I'm challenged with uh, very much these days, both in, in terms of, you know, this uh, COVID pandemic when, you know, you, the, the debate now becomes about, you know, mask or anti-mask. You know, the, there's the maskers and the anti-maskers, and, and they seem to be very sharply drawn along these political lines. Right, and it seems ridiculous and that it should be that way. It is. It, it really is. Um, and then you see it, too, um, with um, Second Amendment issues that, that come up time and time again, and so with this new group, you see a lot of um, uh, a lot of activism around uh, with in efforts to try and expand the Second Amendment liberties um, and and expand the meaning of uh, the, the meaning and practice of Second Amendment. So um, so you see a lot of um, you know these groups are very litigious. Um, their strategies to try to uh, sue 
um, institution, institutions, public institutions, um, and and find opportunities to to uh, you know create um, some what's in their minds progress through the court system. Um, so, for example, you know the city of Sandpoint is is engaged in a lawsuit right now. Uh, two lawsuits, actually. One is is it, well, we're at the tail end of one, and, and the next is about to begin, and it's on a single issue, and it's it's around uh, this event, a long-standing event here in Sandpoint called the Festival at Sandpoint. And for many, it's what the city is is most known for. This is a a, a music festival that's been about 37 years running. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's a two-week music festival in the summer. Uh, it draws thousands of people every year um, right right into our community to, you know, enjoy um, some good music and, and good times. And uh, and they've always had a, uh, you know, a, a, the, the festival is a, it's a 501c3 nonprofit. It's an independent um, agency, um, entity rather, private entity. And they lease a public park from the city, and they've uh, and they outlaw uh, for for their event. They prohibit guns, and that's been their policy for you know since they've been around. They've never allowed guns in their at their music events. Um, but just uh, this last year, um, last summer, this this uh, you know this activist group came and and they you know they bought a ticket and they brought guns and they brought cameras and they wanted to. Get access into a concert with their guns, and and then they you know film the process, and and um, and this um, what ended up happening is uh, the county sheriff and the county commissioners who um, are you know part of this group that I speak of, um, and they've you know they've you know essentially you know infiltrated our our county pol- uh, political infrastructure, and. Uh, and they sued the city of Sandpoint because um, because the city allowed this private entity to have a, a gun ban at their private event, um, and so that the it, it actually brought up a really fascinating court case because never before, um, and I think this is one that, that someday could end up in the Supreme Court because uh, never before have we had you know an issue where um, Second Amendment gun rights are pitted against um, you know contract law essentially. Um, and so the, the question is, you know, what trumps in this case is, is an individual's right to bear arms. Does that trump uh, an, an entity's right to um, to you know enforce their own rules and um, when on you know for their own private event? Um, and it, the 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 key issue being is that this is on leased public property. So so it created a really interesting kind of court case there, but, but this only, you know, like I said, they, this festival, the festival's banned guns for years and it's never been an issue, but it's only been, you know, now in the last year that, um, that these groups are actively trying to, um, you know, change, uh, the law here in Idaho to, to, um, increase or uh, allow for greater, uh, liberalization of, of gun rights. And um, I'm sure and there's, there's other, and, and we're seeing that same kind of, um, action with, with uh, face masks as well, and I oh. wouldn't be surprised to see um, a, a court case filed um, against a public entity here um, or other entities for requiring face masks in in, um, in public uh, public places. So, so this is the kind of you know activity that I see happening here, and I think that you know what it's kind. Of, I know that this is probably happening elsewhere in the country, but I do feel like here in North Idaho, it's kind of a hotbed of this kind of 
um, libertarian or, um, you know, I, I don't know what else to call it other than maybe libertarian activism. Um, but uh, it definitely puts a strain on our, on our public institutions. Right. I'm sure that you are well aware as mayor that city budgets, not just now with the economic issues because of COVID, but there's not a lot of fat to trim usually. People yeah. <laughs> people look right. at government budgets, and granted the federal budget's in trillions of dollars, and you can always spend more because they can borrow all forever, but government budgets are usually very specific, and there's not necessarily a lot that's easy to cut. So when there's a lawsuit, that can be a significant drain um, on city or county services, right? That's absolutely right. Yep. Yeah, you got it. And, and that's, you know, it, it's an interesting uh, dilemma that we're in here because, um, you know, that's the strategy of these groups is to try to, um, you know, their, their idea of, um, you know, uh, I guess their ideal is to have as small a government as possible and to limit uh, government services as much as possible. And so um, to, you know, bankrupt public institutions through lawsuits, um, you know, is a, is a reasonable strategy. Um, of course, the consequence of that is that everybody else who's paying taxes, now their taxes go into lawsuits rather than into public services that we all expect and depend on. Things like paving your seats, adequate uh, first responder, um, you know, uh, emergency medical or um, emergency responder services, police and fire, um, things like just, uh, you know, basic services like, um, you know, uh, infrastructure and, and planning, um, of, of course, um, it, you know, uh, financial management and all those um, just fundamental things, of course, park systems. And, you know, that's one thing here in Sandpoint, we're, we're really fortunate. One thing that we're really known for, we're really, really proud of our world-class park system that we have here. Um, and, uh, you know, all of these things become, um, you know, put in jeopardy when, uh, when we can't maintain them because we can't, you know, we can't maintain that, that level of funding due to these extraneous, um, costs that, that we have to, you know, we're put in a position where, of course, we have to defend the, the city's, um, you know, uh, right to, um, to, <laughs> to, uh, to lease out our, our property for, for events like the festival. And, you know, the, the festival at Sandpoint, to give you a little more context with this in, in, in specific, is that um, it is one of our primary economic drivers in the community. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, we figure it brings in somewhere in the neighborhood of $4 million annually. And for a town of 4,000 wow. people, that's a, that's a really substantial impact. Yeah, that's so, more than our budget in our, in our small town. And I imagine for the concert, there's, there would there might be people participating that who, whatever their views on things, may not want feel safe with guns there. So if you lose okay. a lawsuit like that or give in, the the festival itself may become less of a draw because um, acts may not feel like coming or people might not feel safe coming from out of town. So, you know, you have a good reason to let them run it how they see fit. Yeah. Well, even more than that is that the, uh, the contracts with these performers, mm. uh, they, they don't even allow for it. So most of right. the, particularly in the, in the last five years or so, 
Um, I think that the, the big one was the shooting that happened in Las Vegas. When that event happened, uh, it was two or three years ago, um, it pretty much became industry standard that performers across the country put in their contract writers that uh, they would not perform at a facility um, unless it had adequate um, security and no, uh, no guns were allowed in the facility. So, so that an event like the festival standpoint couldn't even happen because the festival couldn't hire the, the performers that would come and play. Um, and so, you know, what, what the, again, you know, this goes back for me, this goes back to this group that comes in and they care more about expansion of, of Second Amendment uh, gun rights in Idaho and, and, and through the country than they do about the local economy the people that live here, about arts and culture, about any of the things that this community has valued for 37 years. None of that is as important to this group as, that, um, as if they are able to you know, carry their guns with them everywhere they go at all times, uh, including on, on private property or private lease property, etc. So, um, so, you know, again, it's um, one of the things that I do as, a, as an elected official, um, you know, I think one of the most powerful things that I can do is to both try and demonstrate unity and to try and kind of find uh, some foundation uh, for, for, you know, for the, for the community to come together uh, around, you know, some kind of anchor, right? And, and uh, one practice that I do often in, in my speaking and in my writing is to always come back to, um, to our values as a community. And I speak a lot about um, about our values and, and about our traditions and about um, who we are as a community, so that we can, you know, be reminded and, and come to that that common, um, you know, understanding and memory of like, oh yeah, okay, this is this is who we are. This is what we value. These are our, our institutions, cultural, uh, uh, public, and otherwise um, here in this community, and and around that that anchor you know we can we can find a common identity and, and find hopefully a path forward um and and to unify and and be a you know uh effective functioning uh society and democracy that's that's uh, one of my challenges and and one of the ways that that i approach this challenge yeah and it sounds like from this and from other things you've talked about and from things i've heard from politics in general so much could be solved by just everyone realizing they just need to be cool. Just, can't we all just be cool, man? And then people realize, all right, I've gone too far. Um, but, and I mean that not both as a joke and seriously, that I think with a lot of this political ideology that's happening right now, especially with some of the things you've had to deal with, with the, the gun issue, I know you have um, spoken out very well against white nationalism lately because you felt you had to. Um, it's, you know, you start tipping your toes into the extreme, and then you end up almost like in an ocean. You get caught into the undertow, and it's hard to pull people back to just be cool, right? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, you know, of course, nobody wants to, you know, talk about those kind of things. Right, right? that's not why you ran for mayor. You didn't run for mayor yeah. about white nationalism or gun issues. You ran for mayor because you wanted to help the parks and help people have good experiences and bring new jobs. That's right. That's right. You know, when, when I ran for office, I was primarily, you know, thinking about the economy. I'm thinking, how can we support small business? How can we improve quality of life? Th those have kind of been my talking points throughout. Um, but, 
you know, life happens and um, you, you're, you're put in this leadership position and you have to, you have to make the, um, you know, take the, the, the hard stance oftentimes when, when life just sort of happens to you and these issues come to you as an elected official and um, you have to, you know, stand strong in the face of them. And um, um, so, so I kind of got, you know, cast into these, these debates and having to address these issues um, really unwillingly, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to, um, you know, take the, take the hard stance when it, when it's called for. And, um, and certainly, you know, as a, as an elected official and, and certainly as a mayor, um, one of my, uh, you know, primary roles is to protect the public health and safety here in our community. And everybody has a right to feel safe in their community. Um, you know, whether you feel safe around guns or not, or whether you feel safe with a mask or without one, you know, we all, we all have that right to, to feel safe and, and feel protected. And, um, and so that, that can be a real challenge when, when that means really different things to different people. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned white supremacy and, and, and the reason that came up is because, um, you know, North Idaho has a history of, um, of you know, having run-ins with um, with white nationalism here in the in the region, and and as we see a rise in that really across the nation right now, we certainly see it, um, you know, kind of poking its head up again here locally. Um, but it, it has a much different look today than it did, um, you know, in the 80s or in the 90s when, you know, it, it, they were kind of the, the classic skinheads that everybody would sort of recognize and they all have sort of like matching tattoos and even, you know, matching insignia on their, you know, uniforms or flags. That they're, you know, there was a march that would happen in Coeur d'Alene uh, down Sherman Avenue back in the early 90s, I remember. Um, and that's sort of how, you know, Idaho, you know, got its, its sort of black eye, um, you know, or got its bruised reputation uh, for being a haven for uh, white nationalism back in those days. Um, and, and uh, you know, North Idaho did really well to uh, form uh, several uh, human rights task forces, uh, both Kootenai County to the south, uh, Bonner County here locally, Boundary County to the north, all formed a, a task force to, to try and drive um, these um, ideologies out of here. Um, and they did, they were really successful and, and did really well, but um, it's, it's kind of, you know, in, in today's day and age, I think it's taken on a new form um, and it's much more subversive and much more, um, you know, kind of discreet than back in those days. And one of the ways that I think it's able to to um, fester and grow and exist uh, in our society is by hiding under the guy hiding behind the guise of uh, Second Amendment, um, because Second Amendment um, rights and are you know something that here in Idaho and um, I don't know what it's what it's like over there, but I can tell you it's it's a different perspective in a rural area than an urban area, where um, you know you have a hard time finding anyone. Um, you know, walking down the street that, that isn't um, a, a supporter of the Second Amendment. Um, but what you find is that means different things to different people. And, you know, I'm a gun owner myself, um, and, and probably something like 95% of Idahoans are. Um, and it's, it's part of just the culture of being in a very rural area where, you know, people hunt and fish and, 
um, and it's just kind of part of the culture. Right. Uh, but that's a, that's a very different thing than um, thinking that it's appropriate to, um, you know, be armed with an AR-15 and marching down First Avenue or Main Street, right? So uh, that's a completely different, um, you know, uh, way of thinking and way of approaching it. And, and I would call that um, irresponsible gun ownership, and I think that that's inappropriate. It's still legal here in Idaho. Um, but it's not, uh, it doesn't build the kind of community that we all want with. And especially since as you started this, we talk about how COVID in particular presents an opportunity for a place like Sandpoint where tech workers could want to move to this beautiful area. And if we have beautiful parts of the country, whether they are um, with the pristine uh, environment that you have or even just other really cool cities that don't get attention across the country, you want them to be welcoming and a safe environment for all people who can bring in new revenue and uh, feel and become part of the community, not feel alienated from the start. That's absolutely right. Yeah, you nailed it. So you, you present about the unique opportunities you have. And I imagine one lesson you might have then if someone is interested in running for local office is they should be prepared to think beyond their goals, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, I, I think um, you, you know you step into office and, and you have an idea of you're right. You have an idea of you know what your goals are and what, what you want to achieve. And um, but the landscape can really change pretty dramatically. And and I, I think you know we're in an era right now where this is just an exceptionally interesting time. You know, and so. I think certainly that's the case here in Sandpoint, and I'm, I'm sure really across the nation you have uh, mayors and, and council members and county commissioners who are dealing with issues that that um, no predecessors have ever dealt with, you know, uh, emergency orders um, for, you know, health mandates and, and things that, that COVID has brought that, that people just never imagined that they would be dealing with as elected officials, certainly at the local level. Um, so, you, you know, things just kind of happen. And then, um, you know, for, in my case, like, I, you know, we talk about this gun issue and, and some of these other things. Um, yeah, I, I never imagined that, that I would be sort of, you know, taking up this mantle and having to fight this fight. Um, but yet, um, you know, that's, that's, uh, what you sign up for. And, and frankly, it, you know, it does make the, the job really interesting. And, um, and, and I think it's, 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 you know, there's never a dull moment, that's for sure. Um, and it, it does really help to, to know, uh, know who you are and, and know what you stand for, I think, when, when you're ready to take, uh, take on a role like that because, um, because things come up that, um, you know, as you say, that, that you, you, don't, you don't anticipate, you're not necessarily prepared for, but um, you have to, I think it's important to have a, a strong moral compass um, to guide you through through these kinds of uh, challenges, um, and it doesn't mean that you can't um, you know change and be flexible. And, and of course, you learn and you grow and you make mistakes and 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 you own up to those. Um, and you know we're all just doing the best we can. Um, but but you know to the to the extent that you can have a strong moral compass, it, it's going to serve you well. And then um, and then you know if you can bring in people close to you that that you can trust and that, that share um, enough common ground, but also can provide some different perspective. Um, 
on on um, on issues that that maybe um, you need to uh, have a deeper understanding on. Uh, that's always going to serve you very very well. So um, I'm always trying to broaden the tent and and reach across the aisle, so to speak, and and find people that um, that think differently than I do, but that I can have a, a, a thoughtful, uh, honest conversation with. Um, and that helps me expand uh, my understanding and it helps me be able to communicate with people who don't think like I do. Um, and, and it helps them too. It helps them to, to understand uh, in the same way. And, um, and that's, that helps us you know, build community and, and work through difficult challenges together. Wonderful. Um, and finally, the podcast is called You Should Run. Um, again, I started this with my son. After my son and I were making videos about why people should vote, and then I realized voting only helps so much if you don't have candidates on the ballot. Um, so if someone's listening and they want to, they, they uh, think they might be interested in local politics or something beyond, why, quickly, why would you um, encourage someone to think about running for office? Uh, well, I think there's no better way to serve your community um, it, it, it provides an incredible opportunity for you to grow as an individual, um, I, think, I think spiritually and socially. Um, to me, I found it to be one of the most, I, I would say, the most demanding thing that I've ever done. And it's forced me to uh, mature and grow and learn in ways that, that I don't know I could have otherwise. Um, so it's, it's very personally rewarding, and, and it just feels good to be able to um, do your best to make your community a better place. Um, and then, of course, it, it inspires others, too. Um, and so, you know, when you take that, that leap and, and take on that responsibility, taking a leadership role, it motivates others to do the same. And we encourage each other uh, and inspire each other to work collectively to make the world a better place. Well, I appreciate that you're trying to make your town a better place. I'm really happy to get to learn about Idaho. Um, if you're listening, please follow at Sandpoint Mayor on Twitter to see some of the, the great things happening. Uh, and thank you so much, Shelby, for sharing your experience, and I hope people will feel inspired, and maybe they'll learn from you and run for office too. That sounds great, Tony. Thank you for the opportunity, and it's been a pleasure to speak with you and uh, speak before your listeners. And can I can I offer one more plug? Yes, please um, do. If, if any if any of your listeners are on Facebook, um, please like me at Mayor Shelby Ronstadt on Facebook. Um, I actually do more updates there than I do uh, on Twitter typically. But um, uh, it'd be great to have any any likes and any support that I can get from your listeners. It goes a long way. Appreciate it. Well, I will be following you on on uh, the Facebook as well. I think everyone should follow Mayor Shelby. Um, and we really appreciate what you're doing and hope that if you're listening, you know, everyone's really paying attention to the presidential race and paying attention to Senate races in 2020, but politics doesn't end this November. It goes on forever. Maybe you should run for office too. Thank you so much, Mayor Shelby.